Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arse Blog Arsecast right here on arseblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you for being here. As always, it's another Friday, another podcast, and this is a very short shelf life podcast, if you like, because we are playing tonight, Friday. As you are listening to this, we're facing Aston Villa, and it's been a bit of a weird week because we played Monday night football, then we're playing Friday night football. I can't remember that happening before. I mean, it must have. Maybe it has. I don't know. Certainly not within the confines of my memory. My memory is just, it's appalling these days. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arseblog.com. How are you? Hope you're... Well, yeah, that's just a little gag about my memory, which is terrible. But look, it makes for a strange week. It's been a strange week overall anyway because of, well, the Crystal Palace game. It's one of those that on reflection, like I think there was a perception afterwards that Crystal Palace played us off the park, and I don't think that is the case. I don't think it is. The two goals that they scored came after we made mistakes. Now, to be fair... I think you have to give Palace some credit for well, just putting a little bit of pressure on, some pressing, some organisation high up the pitch, forced the mistake on Thomas Partey. Uh, there was a, a tackle, a bit of pressure on Albert Sambi Lukonga, who gave the ball away uh, for the second goal. But, I mean, it's not terribly sophisticated stuff, stuff I wish we would do a bit more, to be fair. But from there, uh, our defending wasn't great, and it wasn't as if... Palace were opening us up, having shot after shot after shot. So, you know, when I think about our own performance, the problem is, A, that we looked toothless is not quite the right word, but nowhere near potent enough from an attacking perspective, and that's just way too familiar. And B, we have significant issues when it comes to ball retention, possession, which sound obvious and basic, but how can you exert pressure on the opposition if you're sitting off all the time, if you don't win the ball, if you don't keep the ball, if you don't push them back? All of those things. We'll have a discussion about that in a couple of moments' time with my guests uh, who'll be here to chew over the bones of what has been a, a difficult week from an Arsenal perspective. We've got some stats which back that up as well with thanks to Scott and his piece over on Arseblog News. Before we get on with the show though, I will remind you that after the discussion, we will give the winner of our competition from last week. We had some copies of Super Club, a football manager board game to give away, so we'll give you the details of that in a little while, towards the end of the show in fact. So if you're hanging on to see if you were one of the lucky winners you could always skip forward right now 
Or you could just listen to the podcast and find out later. Let that anticipation build and build and build and build until somebody else's name is read out. The random number generator will pick the winner, so you never know. You might be lucky. Right, let's get on with things. And first, today, I'm delighted to welcome one of the co-hosts of the Stadio podcast. It is Ryan Hun. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Andrew. And we've got Andrew Allen as well. Hello, Andrew. Hey there. Now, I want to start with you, Andrew, if that's okay, because just sort of touching on the the game that I think has influenced the week that we've all experienced as Arsenal fans, the 2-2 draw with Crystal Palace. Uh, you describe yourself as a natural pessimist in the blog that you did on Wednesday, uh, which I think is a little harsh on yourself, but I do know where you're coming from. Um, and you're sort of talking about the kind of football that we're playing. You said, I don't think my eyes are lying to me. You think the team is struggling to improve and currently worse than the sum of its parts and you say as much as we all enjoyed the win over Spurs performance wise it looks like a real outlier nothing else has come close we play very drab football so as you can see I'm trying to get this discussion off to a positive upbeat start <laughs> um, was it something about the Palace game in particular that, that, that cemented that for you or you know is this just the, the culmination of 20, 21 months of, of Mikel Arteta in charge and, and we're not quite seeing what we hoped we might see. I, I've been thinking over that paragraph a little bit in the last 48 hours and I do wonder whether I was a little bit harsh because I've come to consider, you know, turning up and watching Arsenal under Arteta as a single entity and I guess right now what we're watching is almost like a third version of Arteta's team and this one is literally only a few months old because of the you know all the new signings mm. but like I said I mean I don't think my eyes are lying to me I mean I've sat through many many football games and the way that we were passing the ball around and failing to progress it into the final third and create chances was pretty boring and you know this is a type of football that had sort of first started to manifest itself under Unai Emery the big horseshoe around the, the penalty box and I think we've been battling against that for, for, for the best part of two and a half, three years now. And um, I, I haven't seen a huge number of improvements this season. Obviously, the Spurs game was incredible. We slice straight through them and it's mm. exactly the type of thing we want to see happening. But, you know, faced with a side who were pretty organized um, in the early stages, were happy to sit back kind of almost like they knew that Arsenal psychologically would uh, lose their nerve a little bit as the game went on. And actually, it didn't take very long at all for us to, to kind of do that. We really went back into our shell after 20 minutes. Arteta's kind of lamented it this uh, week in the, the post-game pref, uh, press conference and in the, the pre-Aston Villa one. And I think it's true. We just stopped going for the jugular. And I think that is a that's a really big issue if you if you want to win football games. If you don't kill the game off, then you're always likely to, to concede and be on the back foot again. Ryan, uh, Mikel Arteta spoke about the handbrake the famous mm. handbrake that Arsene Wenger invented and everything else. I mean, what do you think when you hear a manager, as Andrew referenced, you know, we didn't keep going for it after a pretty bright start to the Palace game and a, a goal, which isn't something we, you know, uh, do often enough, but you score early, it, it settles the nerves. You can you can build on that. But he spoke about, well, the handbrake was on. I mean, what do you think when you hear a manager talk about the handbrake being on? Because personally, 
it just sounds like a bit of a buzzword to me without any real substance, no explanation. It's easy to say, well, we put the handbrake on yeah. and we didn't play, blah, blah, blah. But, but what, does that, what does that mean? Why didn't we play? Why couldn't we build on that? I'm more curious to understand what a manager thinks of that kind of thing, the actual reasons rather than some you know, metaphorical implement that only exists in a car. Well, yeah, I agree. I think it, it would be, it would have been, I'm not sure who asked the question, but it would have been really great to hear a follow-up to that, to, to clarify what he means by that. Because in my, to me, when I hear that, I hear it as a confidence thing, almost like a muscle memory thing. Like those old, those old Arsene Wenger sides that would use, you know, I don't know, would play Swansea at home on a Monday and would just be camped in their half. It was almost like they, they knew that, they would get opportunities and they knew how to create them. Whereas I think this side has been on the decline in terms of the chances that they've been creating for a while now. And only what Leeds and Norwich have created fewer big chances in the Premier League this season Mm. than Arsenal. And if that's a side, if you're, if you're, if you're a manager who is uh, in charge of a side who is supposed to be, I don't know, supposed to be an attacking side, even though I think that's just, I don't know. It's like trying to say Coldplay or a punk band. To be honest, <laughs> it's just not really what what Arsenal are anymore. I mean, what seven seven goals in the league is it still? You know, it's like they're not an attacking side that scores goals at the moment. Mm. So, with the handbrake issue, I think it's more of a. I don't know. I think you alluded to it in the podcast, and it's something that me and Wright have been talking about a little bit on Wright's house as well about how it's all a bit Goldilocksy Arsenal. Everything has to be absolutely aligned mm. in order to create chances. And if we don't, then it just kind of thinks it's almost like everyone just looks at each other as if to be like, right, what do we do now? Mm. So, yeah, in short, I have no idea, but I think it was probably like a confidence thing or just like a rhythm thing. Yeah. I mean, just sticking with you, Ryan, the the thing that occurred to me during the week after the Palace game was the idea that, you know, and I wrote about this on the blog during the week, this this belief that we want to have in the project, in the young players, and the things that we look on and hope as being positive. And then you get a game like the Spurs game, and it's great, and it's enjoyable, mm. and it's kind of what you want to see. I, I know we can't do it week after week after week, or we can't do it you know, for a whole 90 minutes. I, I think we should be able to do it more frequently, but there are going to be games where it doesn't happen. But it feels like that should be the kind of default performance in terms of the energy, in terms of the efficiency, in terms of the way we played, in terms of the front-footedness and all of those things. And you get those games and you think, okay, okay, it's here. Mm. And then you get a game like the Brighton game, which I think you know, was a difficult game for us. Brighton played very well. But that was followed up with the Palace game where we weren't played off the park, but we contributed to the Palace goals and we didn't, again, create enough. And you're always having to press this this reset button to go back to the start. Every time you get this little morsel that you think is going to be, um, you know, you can create something, the ingredients are there, all of a sudden you look down and those ingredients are gone again. Yeah, I, I wrote a, t- a Twitter thread about this a little while ago. I can't remember after which game it was, but it was it was kind of commenting on the post Brentford game to, I think after that game, I was, I I said something like, you know, let's wait and see where we're at, you know, in the international break in September or October or whenever it was, I think it was September. Mm. And I likened it a little bit to the NBA where, where an NBA franchise will basically be dreadful for a few years, accumulate 
some really good draft picks and a young core, but they're going to be super erratic for a while until those players develop into experienced, um, well, you know, almost well learned footballers or mm. basketball players in that sense, but football is an Arsenal sense. And I think if you look at Arsenal's core group, you know, take Aubameyang out of that because the the um, the focal point of the attacking creation lies with what a, a, a teenager, uh, another hailing graduate and someone who's signed from Real Madrid and is still super young. And then you have two quite quite young central central defenders and a young goalkeeper coming in Aaron Ramsdale. So they've all been thrown together at an age where, yeah, Arsenal do have some experienced players in that. And there is actually quite a nice, that's one disappointment for me is that there actually is quite a nice balance of age and profile of player in that squad but the core group is still quite young and if you think about it what Emil Smith-Rowe only really emerged as a first team player a year ago Mm. really Uh, same with Bukayo Saka kind of a little bit earlier maybe but they're still they're still very new into their Arsenal career Benjamin White is uh, you know quite (laughs) quite new into his Arsenal career Aaron Ramsdale's obviously joined so what I was saying in the thread was that we are going to have moments where it all falls apart and it's going to look really horrible. But hopefully as a fan base, we can readjust our expectations a little bit to kind of give them the odd game like that. If you're getting four or five in a row, then it's time to super panic. Uh, and I, I, I mean, unfortunately, I think that the way that Arsenal are at the moment, you can't afford to have that many games in a row. But having the Spurs result and then Brighton, I don't think is a particularly bad one, to be honest. I think they're going to take a lot of team a lot of points off big teams and then you have a bit of a disappointment like the Palace result I think it's without sounding too kind of wishy-washy and I know a load of Arsenal fans will be pulling their hair out of this but I think it's just something that we're going to have to bear with Mm. which there's a question there to be raised countering my own point of whether you should be having to bear with results like that or a process like that this deep into a managerial tenure Mm. But I don't, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Andrew, what what do you make of that? I mean, I think there is some logic in that. When you've got young players, you bring them together. It it, it can be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Inconsistent. But there is sort of consistency in our inconsistency, if that makes sense, that I don't feel, I could be wrong, but I don't feel like the issues we have have are simply because the young players are going through these growing pains, these learning stages of, of their careers. If anything, it's been the young players who have provided the the bright sparks, if you like, and it's maybe some of the more senior players who, who haven't got there. So if you want to take that point of view that, look, it, it is going to take time for a team to grow together when you put a bunch of 20, 21, 22, 23-year-olds together and you've got a, a smattering of experience here and there, there, there is going to be uh, teething problems and all those kind of things. But but this isn't simply like the third or fourth game of this. This is a, a running theme, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the thing is, I think, is I look at the team sheet and I think not a bad team. Lots of good players there. Like the look of that. Looks well balanced. Got players in positions that I want them to be playing in. And yet, you know, the game starts and for some reason, it's just not clicking, is it? I mean, you watch mm. them and you think, why is this team with all these talented players not capable of playing football, really? You know, <laughs> doing what they've done their entire life, just playing off the cuff. I know that, the, you know, Arteta's trying to get them to play in a very particular way and he's, he's very um, 
you know, he's he's training them very specifically in 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 how they understand space on the pitch, for example. And it, it does look a little bit like they they've got this thing constantly in the back of their mind about whether or not they're doing the right thing, and it's constipating them a little bit. Like they just can't get the flow going. And I I, I think it is it's obviously. I think the supporters, we understand, as as Ryan said, that it's a young team. They're going to make mistakes. The the frustration, I guess, is that historically we're, we're, we're so much better than some of these teams that we're coming up against. And we used to dominate them without even thinking about it. Sometimes, you, you know, we didn't always win, but, you know, you always expected Arsenal to play the better football, to have more of the ball, to create better chances. The mistakes that were made at the back were our undoing for years. But now I just... I just feel like everybody else is sort of caught up or everybody, there's no complex about playing Arsenal now. Mm. Sides turn up full of confidence and they, 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 they are quite happy to sit back and some of them are quite happy to go on the front foot, but most of them look happy for most of the games, knowing that they'll get a period of play where they can capitalize on our weaknesses. And um, supporters wise, when you're sitting in the stand, you kind of sense that. And I mean, it was even worse when we weren't in the in the stadium because you couldn't influence it at all. You, there was no means of sort of giving you know the the kick up the arse of a, of a big scream or the crowd moaning and all the rest of it. I do actually think the crowd made a difference the other night. I felt like again the crowd were really pushing the players to kind of go and get that second goal at a point when last season there were a few games where I felt they just didn't find the motivation to just sort of chuck the kitchen sink at uh, opposition. Um, the, the crowd has been good. I mentioned that the other day. And I, my worry is that you can't keep drawing with your Crystal Palaces or, you know, dropping points elsewhere to, to mid-range teams and continue to keep the fans on side because the patience will wear thin. And if that goes, then I think Arteta's got a bit of a, he's got a bit of a problem, really. Yeah, it is a symbiotic thing, though, Andrew, isn't it? Because, you know, the, the, the supporters in the stands can get behind the team and they can will the team on and they can give them their best for for 90 minutes. But at the end of the day, they're fans. They're not cheerleaders. They're not there yeah. simply to cheer. And when your eyes are telling you something, when the scoreline is telling you something, when the performance is telling you something, you know, you you yeah, you have to react to that in a certain way. So the onus then is on is on the team. I think we saw, you know, we saw when Lacazette came on, one of the things that he did was energize the crowd simply by engaging with the crowd. Mm -hmm. And, and I think he, he described the, the Emirates crowd as a little bit sleepy, I think. And I don't know that he was necessarily being critical of the crowd. I think he made the point that it's up to the team as well to, to perform in a way which gets the crowd going. But like you say, that will only last so long unless results improve and results count. Because at the end of the day, that is what will keep fans happy. Yeah. And I, I, look, I think most of us, when the season started and we looked at the first three games, we then started looking at what came afterwards and, and how things would shape up before Christmas. Because we thought by Christmas, you've got a pretty clear idea of how this team is, is doing. And, you know, I predicted or I said this team should be competing for sixth. I think anything higher than that would be an absolute bonus. I think we're playing like a side that drops too many points and is more like a 12th, which is kind of where we are. And we'll probably be around about eighth again. And I mean, 
his eighth improvement under Arteta is not improvement at all. And I think that's kind of where we're going. It's There might well be someone else out there who fancies their chances of getting more out of this team quicker. Mm. You know, I, I, I can't, I know it's a different set of circumstances, but the turnaround that Chelsea performed last season, as soon as Lampard went out the door and Tuchel came in, I've never seen anything like it, I don't think. I mean, they were completely all over the shop and it, sometimes the messages as much as you might think you're telling players the right thing just aren't getting through and mm. um, I don't know I'm willing to give Arteta the benefit of the doubt for a little bit longer but I do think if by Christmas we're not in touch with the top six then he's got he's got problems yeah I think so I mean look we, we should point out we are 11th or 12th at the moment but we're only three yeah. points off the team that is in sixth it's still early enough yeah, in yeah, the yeah. season that you're saying it's still on Andrew uh, it's still, still on. on yeah the top six is still on that's as far as I'm going with this you know but look it is early enough in the season where one or two wins can really change the complexion of the table when you're in 12th on you know, at the end of December after a run of games, then it becomes much more difficult to turn things around. As we saw last season, where the second half of the season was actually pretty good, but because of what happened in the first half of the season, it was just impossible to make up the ground on the teams uh, that were ahead of us. Um, Ryan, the, the the style of football under Mikel Arteta, I think, is, is coming increasingly under the, the microscope and the way that we play and, you know, what he says he wants from his team and what he what we expect from an Arsenal team, we're not quite seeing in terms of the, the performances. Um, I mean, I, you know, towards the end of the Unai Emery era, there was an issue with, well, what are we trying to do? What kind of football are we trying to play? What is our style? What is our identity? I think we're in a, a similar kind of situation now with, with Mikel Arteta, that it's very difficult to understand what exactly it is that he's trying to do. When it comes off as it did in the Spurs game, maybe you can see what's happening. But there was a a stat that Scott pulled out from uh, the Palace game on on Monday night, which he did for Arsblog News in the By the Numbers piece. And he said, in a 30-minute period, Arsenal had just nine possession sequences where they were able to string together three or more passes and just three where they were able to, able to string together five or more passes. And to me, this is, this is remarkable. You know, for a, for a club like Arsenal, this is a manager who grew up at Barcelona, This is a manager who played under Arsene Wenger as like the the linchpin of his possession team in that defensive midfield role, that that sort of deeper role when he came from Everton and dropped back. And he was the metronomic guy in midfield who was like ping, 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 keeping it together and, and keeping the team moving. He played under or worked with Pep Guardiola, who uses possession and control of the ball as a kind of death by a thousand cuts approach to football where, you know, he just wears down the opposition. It's relentless. I mean, I don't always enjoy it, but when you've got good players who can make these these final uh, moves and uh, passes into the final third, which create goals and chances, you know, you can see the logic of it. To me, it's actually quite staggering that that this Mikel Arteta team seems to be as uncomfortable with the ball as it is because I I think the technical level of the players is there. I don't think it's a question of the, the technical level of the players. So I, I don't really understand why we find this aspect of the game so difficult. 
Yeah, I was gonna. <laughs> I, I was gonna say that I think the, the morning after the Palace game was the anniversary of that goal against Norwich. Oh. So Twi- Twitter posted it, and everyone was just like, oh, "Why now? Why did you? you know, <laughs> we we all know, but why did you have to do it?" And it was actually a really stark reminder, though, of how much we used to take that stuff for granted, even in the years where we were losing League Cup finals. Mm. You know, and uh, I think it's an interesting question because something Andrew touched on before about how teams don't really fear us fear playing Arsenal anymore I think it's a really interesting point but I actually think that goes a little bit wider in the Premier League I know we're talking about Arsenal specifically here but there are actually few teams in the Premier League that any side will genuinely fear maybe Man City and maybe Liverpool but even this season Chelsea for example you've seen teams go, start to go at Chelsea a little bit more and get a little bit more joy and Chelsea starting to lose control of games a hell of a lot more than they did last season even during those times when we beat them and they had that those couple of ropey results like the one against West Brom so I think that the, the the problem that Arsenal have is that they've dropped to this kind of nondescript style out of the top four specifically, but then out of the European places altogether at a, at a time when it has never been more difficult to get back into it because the quality of coaching in the Premier League goes way deeper than it was back in the days of just Arsenal and Manchester United going for the title. The quality of players in the Premier League goes way deeper down the league and now you don't just have the top five or four or three who have um identifiable or like philosophies or playing styles it goes down to even norwich and they're rooted at the bottom of the premier league but they have a philosophy they have a way they want to play obviously it's not really working that much Mm. but still you know use, use brentford as a prime example thomas frank like i really don't think that arsenal result on the opening day of the season is going to age that badly this season because you've seen them put it to Chelsea, put it to Liverpool. They are going to take points off people because they have a very clear-cut way of playing. So it's it's a weird thing without, again, sounding too kind of flip-floppy here. But like, it's at once at, at, in one in one sense, it kind of like completely explains how tricky it can be to pick up points against teams that historically were a walkover. But at the same time, you're kind of like, well, hang on a minute, how are Brentford coming into the league and completely operating more than the sum of their parts instantly in their first season in the Premier League. And yet Arsenal, who have probably, yeah, if you're going to go through the squad, they've got a far stronger squad and a far more technically gifted squad. But yet they kind of still look like they don't really know exactly what they're going to do. It's really, it's really quite strange. And and the the stat that you the stats you were talking about with Scott. This is what makes me think that actually, I think was, um, you and James were talking about it on the Ask Cast Extra about it wouldn't surprise you if it came out that Arteta was actually like Guardiola's defensive coach. Yeah, that was James. Yeah, James said that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and it's not a wild thing because, I mean, the the players that you have there, like Martin Erdegaard at Sociedad was unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. And like, I think, you know, pretty much the best midfielder in La Liga that season. Mm. And so creative and, and he played so well. And I thought he was he was pretty good as a loan signing for us last season. You know, you, you see with the players that we have there, the fact that we can't string passages of play together. And when we have done, they've become, they've gone viral. That's how rare it's happened now because whenever it does happen, like in the, the goal against Chelsea in the FA Cup final, they go viral for weeks. <laughs> and those were the, those were the, the, that used to be the norm. So I don't really know how it's fixed, to be honest. I don't really know whether it's a training ground issue or whether it's just um, 
I think sometimes if, because I've never seen actually Arteta on the training ground, right? So I don't know if he is a kind of like drill, drill, drill. This is exactly what we do. No, that's the wrong option. You should have done this. Mm. Or whether it was the old school Guardiola way where he, it was when he was at Barcelona, it was like, this is how you get from the goalkeeper to the final third. And then it's on you, mm. you know, which, and I, I, what I've, what I've seen from Arsenal, it makes me think that that isn't the case because there isn't a lot of, um, there's not a lot of riffing anymore in that final third. No, I don't think there's not a lot of improv. That's for sure. No. I mean, I, I think I, I did read, and I'm sure um, someone will back this up. But but Arteta did work with players like Leroy Sané and, and mm-hmm. Raheem Sterling to to help improve them, and I think they were on the record about that. So I don't think he was purely doing defensive coaching, but I I, I do know what you mean about that. Um, I mean, it is one of those things, Ryan, where. You know, the, the the problems that we have in terms of attacking, in terms of attacking potency, scoring goals, creating chances, seems to me to be very tied into this deficit we have when it comes to controlling the football and keeping the football and putting pressure on the opposition and dominating possession for a little bit, dominating territory for a little bit. I mean, we, we talk about the horseshoe and... I don't think it's simply an invention of Unai Emery or Unai Emery's football or Mikel Arteta's football. I I can remember countless games when uh, under Arsene Wenger, an opposition team would come and they would sit deep. And really, your only option if they're doing that is to just pass the ball across the pitch and try and move them and try and create enough space for an incisive pass or a cross or an overlap or something like that. But we, we don't seem to do that. And uh, it, I, I, it, it feels to me like, how can you create chances when you can't keep the football? Uh, I have no idea. There, that's you a, that's, there you go. Nice short answer. I don't know. I don't know. Unless you, unless you play like, unless you... Route one. Unless you're like, do you know what? We'll get Simeone in and we'll just let everyone have it. We'll kick the shit out of them when they do have it. And then we'll just try and we'll create... Mm you know, 3XG on 26 possession and it'll be amazing because everyone will hate us and <laughs> but we'll get to the Champions League final in four years and probably lose on penalties or something. But it's, do you know what I mean? I think it's the 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 profile of player that Arsenal have, I would say that, that it doesn't suit that style. But actually, if you look at the profile of player that Atleti have, a lot of them don't really suit that style either. They've mm. got a lot of attacking talent. So, but they have, everyone knows their, their job. They know what they have to do. Mm. And, I just don't really know. I mean, the thing is, it's like you said before, there have been times where we've seen Arsenal just explode, like the opening half against Spurs. Uh, it's going back a little while now, but like the FA Cup run mm. where Arsenal won it, there were identifiable patterns of play. I think the problem was that as soon as people shut them down, Arsenal didn't re- couldn't really figure out how to, to play those. Yeah. So yeah, my my honest answer is I'm not I'm not entirely sure. I think the game is slightly different from you know the early 2000 or 2010s. Uh, I'm not sure if you can just rely on you know take the ball past the ball, mm. but yeah, I think that we've got the players to do it. So, Andrew, any thoughts on that? In terms of, I mean, it's it's the most non-Arsenal thing I can think of because whatever else you used to be able to say about Arsenal. We could pass the football, maybe to a fault at times. Uh, so it seems like quite stark when, when we're in this sort of position. Yeah, 
Uh, I, I, it, well, it, it is, and I think there's a reason why we're all sitting here slightly baffled, sort of scratching our heads trying to figure it out, right? I mean, we don't know what's going on. Mm. I'm, I'm pretty sure that Mikel Arteta spends six days a week on the training ground telling them this is how we're going to solve these problems, and then the players go on the pitch and somehow it doesn't quite work. And just going back to something we talked about right at the beginning about the description of the the, the handbrake being on, mm. I just, prior to coming on here, I listened to the, the, the quotes from the embargoed section of the press conference that took place on Thursday. So they'll be out by the time this podcast comes out. Mm. And he did, in fairness, someone said, oh, what do you, you know, what do you think about it? You know, are the players getting anxious? And he said, but look, the handbrake is one way of describing it. You can describe it in many other ways. Sometimes it's the level of execution Sometimes it's because the opponent changes his way of pressing. And it's kind of, it suggests to me that Arteta is concerned about the inability of his players not to be able to read the change of momentum of a game and adapt what they're doing. Instead, they just keep doing exactly the same thing. And I do think we're a bit one-dimensional. I don't think teams come to Arsenal and worry about Arsenal playing in two or three different ways. There's this one way that Arteta is trying to get us to play at the moment. And it either works or it doesn't work. And on the days when it doesn't work, opponents can just take us apart. Um, I'm, I'm not saying it's a kind of it's as easy as a lack of a plan B, but we definitely do not have anybody in the attacking lineup who you're going to throw a cross into the box at who's going to score a header. I don't think you know mm. you might occasionally get an Abamyang header or a Lacazette header potentially, but we don't have a you know it's not something I think as a football club you're going to turn up at Arsenal and worry about too much when you see a Bamiyang's name on the t- team sheet and and three diminutive playmakers behind him and Pepe on the pitch right it's it's so that it's it's making it slightly easier for the op- opposition knowing that they only have to really worry about certain types of play um yeah it's 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 a real head scratcher at the moment I think confidence as Ryan touched on right at the beginning is obviously something to do with it and I think in that respect the reason the players celebrated the goal the other day so much was there is an unbeaten run of sorts being strung together at the moment and I think maintaining that is probably quite important not losing games is probably a very big thing for Arteta this year trying to train the players into you know fine let's not if we just don't lose the five extra games that we lost last year because we made stupid harebrained mistakes at important parts of the match then then maybe we can make up some of these points mm. and um you know i definitely sense they really really wanted that draw the other night Speaking of pressing, Andrew, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a graphic doing the rounds of um, all the teams in the Premier League. One of these charts where it it demonstrates um, a team's ability to press. It it was a little bit more complicated than that because it was to do with uh, pressing per defensive action or how many, you know, so it's one of these like um, one of those L-shaped charts. Anyway, the crux of it is, even if I don't quite understand um, all the numbers on it, the two best pressing teams are... Manchester City and Liverpool, um, the two best teams in the country. The two teams right at the bottom were Norwich and Watford, I think. And then right next to them is Arsenal. And Mm -hmm. if we're talking about um, our ability on the ball, what we do off the ball is another problem. We've got to work harder, I think. We've got to be more aggressive in trying to win the ball back rather than just sitting there and waiting for it to come back to us and then looking to spark our our counterattacks. Is it a surprise to you that, that that's not something, uh, this season in particular, that he has really tried to instill into this team? I know it's, you know, 
you've got to do it. You've got to coordinate. It can't be just one guy doing it. You obviously can't just run around like lunatics for 90 minutes either. There's got to be some structure to it. But in a week or in a season where we only play once a week, where we don't have a lot of midweek action, where there are uh, or there is time for players to recover more fully physically between games, it does seem strange to me that this isn't something we've we've focused on a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't know whether we're supposed to be a, a pressing side or not. I would say the other day, watching Arteta on the touchline, that when we weren't pressing, he wasn't exactly barracking the players and telling them to go and press. So mm. it was almost as if he's gone, OK, well, this is just who we are and we're playing the football that I asked them to play. It was it's strange. And it's not it's not the only area of our game where I, I'm slightly confused. You know, I think a lot of people would say, oh, do Arsenal play out from the back? I don't know anymore because we seem to go very long with a lot of goal kicks. And um, yeah, I mean, the pressing issue is definitely something you kind of look at and you think, well, it shouldn't be fitness related. I mean, as you say, we're we're playing far fewer games this year. Um, A lot of other teams are doing at least something more than us. And it seems, yeah, again, I'm completely baffled by it. Uh, I don't know whether I necessarily want to see the Arsenal players charging into tackles or the rest of it because I think Arteta is obviously very wary of getting it wrong and the players getting turned on the counter-attack, which is basically exactly what happened for the two goals, I guess, the other night. Um, but we don't. We seem to bounce off a lot of players. I was you know, sitting there with my dad on Monday night and, and it, we were just sort of... We watched a couple of passages of play and Arsenal players just didn't win tackles they just kept kind of bouncing off palace players and then somehow the ball would fall back to us and then this is where scott stack comes in we would fail to keep the ball for more than a couple of seconds Mm. and then suddenly palace would be coming back at us and it was all just very scrappy and all over the place and um yeah i mean uh, you know thomas party doesn't dominate the midfield in quite the way you might hope he would. I'm not overly surprised that we look a little bit lightweight when we've got someone like Erdegaard next to him as opposed to, or Erdegaard and Smithrow as opposed to a Granit Xhaka maybe, or someone else who's a more traditional sort of holding midfielder. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it is, it is pretty frustrating. And like everything else, I'm, I'm just left with, I, I'm slightly baffled by it at the moment, scratching my head. Ryan, any answers for Andrew when it comes to the pressing side of things? I think what was, you know, when you talk about playing out from the back and pressing, and you already mentioned Brentford on the opening day of the season, they started to press us high and immediately we stopped playing out from the back and Bernd Leno was kicking the ball long physically. I think uh, we were second best that day because of the, the coordinated press that we found a little bit difficult to deal with. And, and this, I know this is a point we've made before, but but... If you're a team that plays out from the back, don't you want the opposition to press? Don't you exactly. want them yeah. to come on to you? You play it out from the back and you use all that green grass in front of you to try and, and play your football. That's exactly how those viral goals that I mentioned against Liverpool and, and Chelsea came about, where they closed in what the right-back position and Arsenal kind of managed to get out mm. and then it went across to Aubameyang who put it away and there was that amazing cut to Klopp during that game I know we're going back a long way here but like Klopp, it cut to Klopp on the touchline and he was just kind of like nodding like yeah fair he wasn't angry he was just like yeah it's a good goal mm. um, I think it's the th- okay so I'm going to stay from around that period for a little bit because there was a moment in that semi-final that stuck with me for a long long time and it was I think uh, Rob Holding tried to play a pass or it might have even been 
El Neni, and they uh, and they played the wrong pass basically, and four players instantly told him the same thing. Oh, this is what you should have done, and it was just like holy shit! Like Arteta's got them knowing exactly what they want to do. Now that doesn't really seem the case. There seems to be. I mean, to be honest, I'm not really. Uh, I don't really think it's a bad thing not knowing if we play out the back or not because I know that there's a there is a difference between just like hitting it long and actually like long passing. Mm. But I think that what happened under Leno, which is why I think you saw his confidence go a little bit, was that it was like play out at all costs. And I think what Ramsdale is quite good at is that there's no problem going long when he needs to go long, and it's something that Edison does and something that Allison does for for Man City and for Man, uh, for Liverpool. So, yeah, I mean, in, again, it goes back to this kind of like, well, that that was the last time, I think, off the top of my head, which was, what, um, 15 months ago, maybe, 14 months ago, that I could remember Arsenal looking like that, or being as, as close to an identifiable, what you know, it was clear what Arsenal mm. were trying to do. It was absolutely clear. And, um, and now... I don't. And I think the pressing thing is a, is a strange one because the players are there to do it. Aubameyang's got a great engine and is really... I think people... One thing Aubameyang doesn't get a lot of credit for and I think unfairly is actually like his intelligence in terms of movement. Um, you've got a young group behind him who obviously got lots of energy. Mm. And even with like someone like Sambi Lukonga coming in who I think... I was a little bit surprised he didn't actually start against Palace if I'm being honest. Um, I think he is is really dynamic as well. So you have you have all the setup there potentially for a pressing side. Again, why it isn't happening that I listen, I don't want to sound like I'm chickening out here, but you know, Mikel Arteta is the manager of Arsenal Football Club. I'm assuming he has more of a plan and knows what's going on than we do because if he doesn't then you know it was like that sign, you know, our expectations were low, but holy fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, um, as we try and uh, come to terms and try and find some of the answers, I, I realize that we, you know, it's not that we've had a negative discussion. I think it's a realistic discussion of what we are and what we're doing and what's happening and all the rest. But Ryan, if I was to press you about something that, that uh, you feel positive about uh, when it comes to what's going on and what's happening at the club right now, what what would that be? Um, I'm assuming that the Adidas drops aren't allowed, right? Yeah, not, nothing okay, to do right. with kits um, or kit launches <laughs> or kit advertising or, yeah, you know, okay. Ian Wright in a brilliant video. None of that. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, I actually am really encouraged that for the first time in a long time, there's an identifiable group of young players coming through who could be at the club potentially for a decade. You know, I think it's the first time since... Chesney that we've got a young goalkeeper who could you could see being at the club and for 10 years as long as he doesn't smoke in the dressing room mm. he's going to be fine um I think Smith Rowe will develop more I think Saka is obviously you know an absolute superstar in the making mm. I think Erdogan is a real buy a real buy for that price I think Gabriel and ben, Benjamin White I think are a potentially really good long-term centre-back partnership which is something that I don't it doesn't feel like we've had for a long, long time. Maybe since Mertesacker and Koscielny. Um Tierney is potentially future captain material for me. And I think Tommy Yasu gives a very different dimension at right back. And I'm hoping also that Bellerin has a really fun time at Betis and maybe comes back and stays. That's my, my personal wish just because I love Hector Bellerin being an Arsenal player. Mm. So actually, if you do break it down, 
there's loads to love there. You know, Thomas Partey, again, I think it's just like, I still can't believe Thomas Partey plays for Arsenal, if I'm being honest. I know that it's, he's not exactly hit the heights so far that he has, or he did do it at Atleti, but I, I still just can't believe that we got a player like that. And I think we'll we'll see that a lot more, hopefully, in the future. So there is loads there. And we still got Aubameyang, who, who I think is just, it's amazing that he plays for Arsenal Football Club. So that, that's actually, I think, if a load of people listen to this and being like, oh my God, these guys are just moaning. I think having laid out the positives there, I think is why we're concerned about why it's not necessarily clicking. Because it's kind of, when you actually read out those names, you're like, wow, this is great. We don't have a left back that's wearing number 11 anymore. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, some Andre Santos dissing in there. Fair play. Um, oh, I loved him though. I did love him. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's like caring for a lost dog or something like that you know <laughs> Andrew what about you I mean same question is there anything beyond that 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 you can hang on to things that you're looking at um in a positive way I, I think there is quite clearly a, a, a solid team spirit there and I think given that so many new faces are, are in and around the team it's incredible how quickly they've been integrated you know Ramsdale obviously we've lots of people have spoken about I think there was something interesting that Kieran Tierney pointed out in an interview, which will go out in Sky before the match tomorrow, where he was saying Ainsley Maitland-Niles was warming up the other day for the, you know during the the Palace game, and Aubameyang was closing him down, and Ainsley was just cheering him on, saying "Go on, get him," you know, all of this type of stuff. And you know, Kieran Tierney obviously uh, identified that, said that they'd watched it as a clip in the post-game review, and. I think there's something in the team spirit and the fact that you never hear anything bad about the manager from the players. I don't, I'm not sensing that there's, you know, frustration and there'd be many players there who've not played many minutes this season who'd be, you know, could be quite rightly a bit frustrated by that. But I sense there's a togetherness and I think there's a lot there which as supporters you can get on board with. And I think you know, I, I, I definitely feel because they're a young group as well that I, I want them to do well. You know, this is not a group mm. with the bad eggs in it that Arteta inherited and he was so desperate to kind of get rid of. You know, this group, I think there is something to back. And, you know, that's I, I think I, I wrote that about that on Wednesday. You know, I, I, I want them to do well. I'm willing them to do well. And I think most Arsenal fans, if not all, are, are on the same page with that. Yeah. I think that's fair. I mean, that is the thing. It's the young players who give you this freshness, who allow you to sort of project the the possibility of improvement and all of those kind of things. I think your point, Ryan, is absolutely spot on that you, you put these names there, you put these ingredients there, and that sort of is why people are concerned that there should be more, there should be better from, from these players and, and for this team. I mean, Andrew, just before we go, um, there was some talk of the African Cup of Nations today. Um, it's happening in January, but this talk of the players having to be released, I think it's the 26th or the 27th of December, which is a bit of a problem for Arsenal when you consider that Aubameyang will be going. Partey will be going, Pepe will be going, and Elneny will be going, who hasn't played a great deal this season. I think we understand why he hasn't played a great deal this season. But the other three are very, very much part of the, you know, the first team rotation. Um, I think when you think about Aubameyang, you've got Lacazette, 
whether you think he's an imperfect replacement or whatever it might be, but you've got an experienced replacement there. You've got Enketia, you've got Martinelli, you've got Balogun, you have options in that regard. With Nicolas Pepe, if Bakayo Saka is fit, he's going to play on the right anyway. So it's not. I'm not saying that we won't miss Pepe, but it's not as big a, a deal as losing Thomas Partey because at that point, midfield could be very light indeed with no Elneny, no Partey, Granit Xhaka maybe back, maybe, all things going well. So so you're looking at a period and a really busy period as well. I think we play Manchester City on the 1st of uh, January. So there's a happy new year to everybody. 12.30, by the way, Someone on New Year's Day. Is trolling yeah, big time. I think they are. Um, 12.30 on, on New Year's Day, potentially with a midfield of... Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Albert Sambi Lukonga. Um, this is a this is a consideration and something they're going to have to be thinking about quite strongly um, as we head towards you know that time of the year. It seems like it's a long way away, but time really flies. It's coming towards the end of October now. The games will be coming thick and fast, and all of a sudden you're into that period, and then you're losing key players. It's a it's going to be a big challenge for us. Yeah, I've kind of, I mean, I've been looking at January since before the season started when the fixtures came out because we obviously knew that the AFCON was going to be coming. And, mm. you know, I definitely thought to myself, Arteta needs to get as many points as possible on the board uh, in that November, December period. And to be fair, like aside from, I mean, it does get a bit tougher. I mean, we've got Liverpool and United before Christmas, West Ham, you know, there are no easy games these days. Mm. But it's gonna it's gonna be a problem. I know what you said about El Nini not necessarily being a kind of you know a, a playing component at the moment. But when you yeah when you consider that Jacques is out and Party goes, and then you're down to well is it Sambi and Ainsley Maitland Niles? Mm. Is it is it Sambi plus um, uh, you know Erdegaard and, and and Smith Rowe? I mean it, it, it's very very inexperienced and. Manchester City's there. There's a North London derby on the 15th. It may be that some players are back by then. But, I mean, you know, who knows? I mean, if we go in the Carabao Cup, there'd also be a, semi, a double-legged semi-final of a Carabao Cup either side of an FA Cup third round. It's, yeah, it's daunting. It is daunting. And um, I suspect that the, the the management must be looking at potentially, you know, dipping their toe in the water of the transfer market because, you know, there are some players who are going to be going in the summer that we know are going to be going. And, you know, I think you might start to maybe make some preemptive decisions and try and get a little bit earlier. We know it's not an easy market and all the rest of it, but I think we're going to need some reinforcement or we could be really exposed. Mm. Yeah, just finally with you, Ryan. I mean, they did bring in Martin Odegaard last January, which is a hell of a loan signing. It's, you know, it's it's not a Dennis Suarez uh, by any means. So, you know, if they can do it once, maybe they could do it again in terms of a, a midfield player coming in to add a little bit of depth in a in a position, which I think, you know, you could already make an argument that we need it. I think th- this is one of the positives about not having European competition to worry about in the second half of the season because I think it would be worth keeping an eye on players who have either dropped out of the Champions League altogether um, mm. You know, there, there will be a pool of players who have either dropped into the Europa League or the Conference League or dropped out of Europe altogether whose contracts are winding down or they're into the last 18 months of. And if Arsenal were very, very smart, because I think this is the thing that I think a lot of people back home, you know, speaking to someone who lives in Germany, that Arsenal's stock is still way higher in Europe than it is 
back home. It's just, it carries so much weight here and players are still quite enamored with the club, you know? Um, or they, they, yeah, they, they, there's still a lot of love for the club. So I think that if Arsenal are very smart and I, I think this summer, for example, has been the most encouraging transfer window in a long time because at least it looks like there's a, there's a plan, then maybe, maybe there, there are one or two players that you could pull out of this hmm. nice kind of crop of European teams. Um, and maybe it's not so bad. Maybe, you know, like loan to the end of the season with options to buy and stuff. I don't think, I think it would be, I think it would be unlikely to get another player of the kind of profile of Erdogan. I think it would probably be someone a bit more experienced hmm. who is looking for a move. Well, look, we, we've got some football matches to win before all that happens. So let's keep fingers crossed that we can do that, starting with Aston Villa on Friday night. But we'll leave it there for now. Ryan, thank you very much indeed. Thanks very much. Andrew, thank you as always. Cheers, man. Thank you very much indeed to Andrew. You can find him on Twitter. He is at A. Allen Sport, at A. Allen Sport, also co-host of the Left Field Podcast, available now in all good podcasting apps and even some bad ones. And Ryan is at Ryan Hun, at Ryan Hun. He's also the co-host of the Stadio Podcast, which you can get over on Ringer FC, where you can also find Ryan often in conversation with the one and only Ian Wright on the Wrighty's House Podcast, too. So uh, there's some extra listening for you if you're not already on board with those quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature sleep number smart beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, before we call it quits, I told you we would give you the winners of last week's competition. We had three bundles to give away of the Super Club Football Manager board game. Uh, it also includes the Arsenal expansion. All the entries went into a, well, uh, a digital hat, and the random number generator picked out the following three winners. Number one, Danny Creek. Number two, Kevin S., that's all his email address said. I don't know what the S stands for. It could be Spider-Man, Superman. Who knows? One of those superhero guys. And the third one is David Erling or Orling. I apologize if I've uh, mispronounced that. But well done to you three guys. You can get more information on the game itself at superclubgame.com. That is superclubgame.com with Christmas on the horizon. Maybe there's a present idea you don't have to think too much about. Right. We're going to leave it there for this particular episode of the Arsecast. For more on the Villa game, there is a preview podcast available for you right now over on Patreon, patreon.com 
forward slash arseblog, myself and Lewis Ambrose shooting the breeze ahead of that particular game. James and I will be here maybe Sunday, not quite sure, uh, because the game is on Friday night. We'll try and bring the Arsecast extra forward because it seems like a long time between game and podcast if we wait until Monday, but uh, it all depends on schedules. We'll do our best in that regard, but we will, of course, have an Arsecast extra for you. Let's hope that we can do the business against Villa and uh, everyone will be in a, a happier mood and a happier place if we can do that. For now, though, thank you for listening. Let's hope we can all enjoy our weekend because it is very much dependent on what Arsenal do against Villa. And we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Welcome back to Sky Sports News and there was focus on refereeing standards this week after Mike Dean failed to give James MacArthur a red card after he kicked Bakayo Saka with the ball nowhere near him. To everybody watching it seemed like a nailed on sending off but he only got a yellow card. However the Premier League match officials group have backed Dean and said that there are new rules in place when it comes to Bakayo Saka the following acts will result in only a yellow card at the discretion of the referee of course those include kicking loafing hair pulling scratching punching open hand slaps biting wedgies eye gouging and light fingering the following implements may also be used mallet hammer hatchet cutlass plank of wood with nail plank of wood with two nails blunderbuss flick knife flick comb golf club lance chicken sickles Horseman's pick, razor tip boomerang, ox tongue spear, scythe, javelin, tomahawk, Welsh longbow, bowie knife, scimitar, Shatner's bassoon, and Tim Sherwood. The following implement may not be used. Hydrogen bomb. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.